Welcome to our podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I'm your host, Father Patrick Wainwright, and thank you for joining us today. Today, I welcome Dr. Lawrence Feingold. Dr. Feingold is an Associate Professor of Theology at Kenrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis. He's an expert in the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas. He converted to Catholicism in 1989 together with his wife, while engaged in realist marble and sculpture in Italy. In 1999, he earned a doctorate degree in theology from the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross in Rome. He has written several theological books. However, his most recent books include The Eucharist, Mercy, Mystery of Presence, Sacrifice and Communion, Faith Comes from What is Heard, An Introduction to the Fundamental Theology, and Touched by Christ the sacramental economy. Dr. Feingold, thank you very much for being with us and joining us today. How are you doing? Very well. It's a great pleasure to, to be with you again. Yeah. After many years. After many years, we That's get to right. meet each other again. <laughs> so how, what have you been up to lately in St. Louis? Well, I teach um, theology at the seminary, um, systematic theology, sacramental theology. So to seminarians to that seminarians, will be priests. Yeah, forming um, in the formation for the priests. It's a long formation. Uh-huh. I get them for four years. Wow. So the, you teach all four years of theology? Yeah, I teach all four years. So I, it's beautiful. I get to see the guys as they mature. Wow. So I, I'll teach theology one, theology two, theology three, and theology four. So there's already several of those who have become priests. Oh, tons. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. That's... Well, congratulations. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit? Uh, I don't want to <laughs> spoil the story, but why don't you tell us about uh, your story, your personal story, and your conversion, how you grew up, and what you believed and okay. how you came to be a Catholic and a Catholic theologian of all things. Okay, so I was raised an atheist. My wow. dad was a, um, a Jewish atheist, not somewhat militant. Um, he was a physicist, and yeah, so um, he um, he had been bar mitzvahed when he was 13. Um, but af after that, he basically didn't want to have any part with practicing the Jewish faith. What is bar mitzvah? Bar mitzvah. So that's mitzvah. the... Um, Literally, it means becoming a son of the law, of the commandments, and at 13, um, and it's kind of a rite of um, Initiation adulthood. Yeah, or... right. So you read from the Torah in the synagogue. And you're supposed to um, hold to those truths and try to live by it sure. when you do that. Sure. Um, and so um, I was, yeah, didn't get any religious education from his side, and my mom was a fallen away Protestant, and... Um, uh, didn't get any from her side either. Every once in a while, my family went to a um, Unitarian church. Oh, okay. But uh, that was very, very, very sporadic. Um, and um, so my approach to uh, um, to coming to the faith started with art and beauty. So as a teenager, I fell in love with um, um, with the arts. I, my parents sent me to an art music camp okay. in the uh, Pennsylvania Dutch country, the Appalachians. Um, so you learned music. Yeah, so music and sculpture and, and uh, drawing. And um, um, so that was um, kind of my um, <clears throat> passion as a teenager. Uh -huh. And then and going to college. Do, do you have siblings? I have an older brother um, who's now also become Christian. He's no a, way. Congratulations. Yeah, That's he's awesome. A, he's a Methodist, not a Catholic. Well, little yeah. by little. Uh -huh. One step at but a time. But my mom, so I'll tell you that later. My mom became Catholic the year after we wow. did. So I was her sponsor in RCA the year after we went through it. 
Um, so um, went to um, Washington University in St. Louis for college. That's where I met my wife, and I'll mention more about her later. And in my first semester there, I took an art history class, art and um, civilization, and that was the decisive, really, um, push towards the faith. It took 10 years from that time, though, wow. to get there. And the key thing was, um, this: um, I fell in love with Christian art through this course. And the first day of class, he did a, a great thing, um, this professor. His name was Norris K. Smith. He put up two paintings. That's typically in art history. You compare two different paintings or, or two different works of art. And he put up a Rembrandt portrait full of human dignity um, and then an abstract expressionist, woman number four. Wow. <laughs> which was all kind four. of sound and fear, anonymous, right? And kind of um, sexualized and, and chaotic and... Uh-huh. And um, discombobulated, had, discombobulated, right. right? And so the sort of like what I was doing at that time, I was right. influenced by abstract expressionism and modern art. But um, he asked us, "If you were on your deathbed, right? This is the first day of class. You got two hundred freshmen in this class. Mm -hmm. If you were on your deathbed, um, which of these two paintings would you want to have over your bed to wow. contemplate?" Wow! And I'd never thought about a deathbed, and never thought about. Art in that kind of a way. And of course, I would want the Rembrandt, even though I'm making images like the woman number four. And the reason for that is because that Rembrandt's full of human dignity. And you can see the soul through the eyes, as it were. Uh -huh. And it, I mean, it's the Christian conception of the human person. Right. Even though it's not, you know, ostensibly a religious subject, but it's the Christian vision of the human person. Wonderful. Um, and so the whole course basically did things like that. I mean, he was a Presbyterian. He was a, he was a devout Christian, but he didn't put it in your face. But the whole point was to make you think about works of art, not simply as being beautiful, I like it or I don't like it. That was if we put that in an exam, we failed. Um, but what's the worldview behind it? Right. And is that worldview attractive and true and good? That was the, the way he framed this. And so in the course of this um, course, I, I found myself more and more falling in love with the, um, the Christian patrimony. In other words, the art of the Middle Ages. So this particular professor was an expert in Gothic cathedrals and in Renaissance perspective mm -hmm. um, and, um, and Rembrandt. Those were his. And so, um, yeah, I loved all of those subjects. Um, Precisely because – so the Gothic cathedrals, the transcendence, right? The, the, the glory of God right, coming through. Even, even the atheist can see – is touched by the glory of God that um, – I mean, you wouldn't say it that way. I wouldn't right. have said it that way. And then – So um, you came to like those things through oh this course. Goodness. You yeah. didn't like it before. No, I liked them before, but I hadn't been exposed to them right. in depth. And I hadn't been asked that question about what does it look like if you're thinking about you know, your, your deathbed. deathbed. Yeah. And then what's the worldview behind it? And is it true? All right, so that's the part of the background. And so um, at this time, I met my wife. We were engaged, and we um, did junior year abroad in Germany. Uh -huh. And so we had an opportunity there. We had a six-week vacation. We got an interrail pass, traveled all around Europe, looking at all those works that uh -huh. we'd seen in that course. And um, so that made it much more vivid, right, right. seeing them. And um, But we were still atheists. One day we were in um, – uh, on Christmas Day, we were in Paris. So we went to Notre Dame, and um, that was Christmas Mass and in the Oregon, everything. And then we went to Chartres Cathedral the same day. We got there in the afternoon. It was empty, except for some monks in the choir chanting Gregorian chant. Wow. We left as atheists. So you had it, never heard Gregorian <laughs> chant live before? No, not certainly no, not like that. That is amazing. And um, yeah, so these were tugs, right? God um, 
knocking on the door, but we didn't open the door. Um, yet. Yet. And so then I st after that, um, we ended up getting married after college, and we moved to New York City, and I studied art history at Columbia. And I wanted to be an artist to do art, but I couldn't find any place to study. So, for example, where I was at undergraduate, Washington University, the um, art department basically um, was totally divorced from the art history department. The art history department, you say these great things, but in the art department, you we were the thing fashionable at that time, the um, beginning of the 80s, so 1980, was um, super realism, body casts and things like that. Anyway, uh -huh. so I, I knew I didn't want to do that. I wanted to, to do art in the classical style like we'd fallen in love with, but I couldn't find a place to study that. So I decided to study more art history to see at least what the um, the masters were we're thinking, um, and they, they happen to have a stone sculpture course. I'm sorry, this, I'm taking too long at this. Right. So they happen to have a stone sculpture course at Columbia University, and I fell in love with that. And um, but everybody said, and so I got a little studio in in New York. But everybody said, if you want to do this, you got to go to Italy because there's this town in Italy called Pietrasanta where people, where the quarries are. That's where Michelangelo went to get the marble for the Medici uh, Chapel. That's amazing. So it's Carrara, Carrara marble, right? The, so it's the, the best the marble. The same place, the same, same place, origin yeah. for Michelangelo. That's now right. Now it's That's right. Feingold, Lawrence well, Feingold. So, I mean, they've actually exhausted the quarry. They've, you can see, if you go there, you can see a hole right through the top of the, the best statuary marbles at the top of the mountains. Wow. The, the white statuary. Yep, yeah. Anyway, so and it's a sculptor's town, an international sculptor's town. People come from all over the world because they have the marble and they have um, foundries as well for bronze. So we ended up living there for three years. And right. I remember one time going to the Sistine Chapel, and it really hit me this thought. Um, I'm looking at the Last Judgment of Michelangelo, right? And so it's... It's a and, painting. For those who don't know, it's in the, the yeah, painting in, if, the, in the main right. you wall. Have to go, if you don't know it, you have to Google it. Right. It's the most, you know... Powerful work in the world. And if you go to Rome, you have to visit the Sistine right. Chapel. Yeah, right. And I knew that. And so I, this wasn't my first time. But anyway, it just hit me this one time. My goodness, everybody, you know, there are tons of tourists, everybody taking pictures, ooing and eyeing. And it hit me. Nobody's asking, is it true? And where will I stand on that day? And what would Michelangelo think about our appreciating it aesthetically and not caring about whether there is, in fact, a judgment or not. Right, and the truth that is behind yeah, it. Yeah, and it hit me. That convicted me. Here I am. So this was 10 years after that initial course. I'm, I've come to appreciate it more, but I still didn't believe it. And yet, how could I think it's beautiful if I don't care about the question, is it true? So that really, that disturbed me. Perfect. So, but anyway, still, I was still an atheist. And in fact, I was still defending some form of Buddhism, I think, at that time. I had a next-door neighbor in this town, who was a fallen away Catholic. He's the only person who, um, and he was arguing for the Catholic faith, even though he was a fallen away Catholic. Uh -huh. And I was arguing against it, just even a couple weeks before our conversion experience. So then the next step that came about was, um, um, had to do with marriage. So a different form of beauty, the beauty of the human person and marriage, and particularly my wife. So she got pregnant this time. So we'd been married for seven years. And, um, and, about halfway through the pregnancy, she got terrible anxiety. And, and it got so bad to the point that one day um, she said she didn't want to live. Wow. So that was, um, and that really, again, this was in reality the moment of grace, but I didn't know it at first. Right. Right? So, so it really hit me, my goodness, I haven't been able to fulfill her. I can't meet her need to be loved. And right. in fact, I could see that I wanted to run away from the problem and, and I wasn't able to love her the, 
the way she needed. And so it hit me that day. If there isn't someone who does love her right. in that way, God the Father, life doesn't make any sense. And de Kooning woman number four would be the truth. And Rembrandt and Michelangelo would be false. Right. And that can't be. Because then, we need God's love. Right, because we need God's love. And because, simply that if we're, it hit me that she was made for a love bigger than what I could give her. And, and Aristotle and St. Thomas, so I wasn't thinking philosophically, but nature doesn't give a natural desire that can't be fulfilled. Right. And so if the human heart, right, we speak of the human heart having a God hole, in other words, a hole that only God can fill. And that's a universal experience, right? That's St. Augustine, the heart is restless until it rests in you. And I could see that in her. I wasn't thinking about me, but I could see it in her. And thus, if there wasn't someone who loved her in that way, then um, life would be absurd. And that couldn't be, right? Absurdity is, means you made a mistake. Absurdity right, and, is a contradiction. Right, and, and reality cannot be absurd mm -hmm. because it, it is, it mm -hmm. exists. Right. And also we have inside our heart this desire for a love that is infinite. Right. And it, that's what God comes to fulfill. Right? right, right. And what's interesting, what I find so beautiful looking back at this experience is that it often is a lot easier to see this in somebody else that you love, right? Because it's... Um, You're outside of the problem, so That's to right. And love, so we often say love is blind, right? That real love is not blind. It gives us eyes to actually see in a way that we couldn't see without it. So I like to use this when I teach even mm -hmm. that. Um, so for example, um, my mother-in-law has some strange views about um, sexual morality in the abstract on the blackboard when we're talking just in general. In theory. But when it comes to her daughter and her granddaughter, she gets it. Right. And that's a very common experience. Anyway, so I was having that kind of experience. I could see it in this person that I loved. This person that I love can't simply be from nothing and for nothing. Correct but has to be from someone and for someone who's infinite. Right. Anyway, so that was my experience. So I thought, oh my goodness, I actually never prayed in my life. I have to go tomorrow and pray. Right, and that, oh, that is very profound, I imagine, right? That's yeah, so I never prayed in my life. So I thought, all right, I'm gonna, so we're living in Italy, so I thought it was just an hour train ride to Florence. So I'm gonna go to Florence and I'm gonna play, pray in the Basilica, the Duomo, mm -hmm. um, built by Brunelleschi, and, and that's my... Art history beauty there. Very so, good. Um, but on the way there on the train, the Holy Spirit impelled me for the first time in my life to actually pray. So, I, since I was an atheist, I never even prayed for a bicycle or a good grade. Um, and, <laughs> and this time, so I felt moved to pray, teach me to love right. and to be a light unto others. Right. Where did that come from? Right, right, right. right. And that so was on the train. Yeah, on the train. So, you didn't even get to the place where no, you were right. hoping to pray. Right. And so, after making that prayer, the world looks so different. It was, as it happened, I mean, maybe it was fortunate or providential that it was spring in Italy, in Tuscany, and it was beautiful. Very beautiful. Yeah, but um, the world looks so, and then, I, so I felt the words of the baptism of Christ um, come into my heart. And that, so I knew the New Testament because of art history. We, studying Renaissance art, you have to- Know something yeah, about, so we, have a background we were assigned, of the New Testament. That's right, we had to read the New Testament. And so um, these words came into my heart, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And I also knew Psalm number two, you are my son, this day I've begotten you. And what I understood, this wasn't for me, was that that was being said by the father to the son. 
and to us, Marcia, my wife, and I in him. I had right. left Jesus out of the equation, right? right? I was thinking of, all right, God the Father, but I still was thinking to go to a church because we'd fall in love with Christian art. I wasn't planning to go to a synagogue, although I'd, I left. But what I came to understand there was what we call divine filiation, mm-hmm. that we're sons of God, sons and daughters of God in the Son, Wonderful. Jesus. Anyways, that was the beginning of our journey. Um, and so then came a little tug of war. So I actually did make it to the Duomo, finally. that was the anticlimax, and it was... Um, I felt really ridiculous kneeling. Um, looked all around, make sure. Um, the, yeah, is, you yeah. don't want to see <laughs> to be seen right. Right. kneeling. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. And um, but that was an anticlimax. The key thing had already happened. So then I came back and I told Marsha, my wife, about it. And so we had some little tug of war, and we ended up going to church together the following week in our local um, parish. So we we're living in Italy. Our local parish was a 10th century Romanesque little country church. Wonderful, beautiful. And um, we were just going to go pray beforehand and then leave because we were afraid of organized religion. Right. And um, so, so we did that. And as we're leaving, our landlady came in. And I had just assumed, since most Italians don't go to church, right, only 6%, it's a lot wow. worse than here, I had assumed that she wasn't practicing. And, um, and so I was startled to see her, but she was a lot more startled to see us. Right. Fine golds, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Stay. And so, so we did. We went back in, and it was so moving. It happened, so I re- still remember the liturgy. Uh-huh. It's one of the few liturgies I still remember. Um, wow. from, this is from 1988. Um, and it was Good Shepherd Sunday. That's the fourth Sunday of Easter. Oh, Easter. Vocation Sunday. And so the priest had a very simple homily. On, so the, the gospel was the Good Shepherd, right. and the, um, the homily was um, the Christian vocation. A, it's beautiful, right? A bella. A bella. <laughs> a bella. <laughs> and, and then the married vocation. And then he also talked about the priestly vocation. Bellissimo. Bellissimo, that's right. <laughs> yep. And that, that was about it. And, but it was so moving. I mean, it was just, it, it was the right thing for us at that time. And each of us was moved in a different way. And then what also I found really attractive, what um, mysterious was during Holy Communion, I was sitting next to this old woman, and somehow when she went down to receive communion, we knew not to, um, I felt like I was somehow part with her. Right. You know, it's what we call, yeah, the communion of saints. The communion there. of saints. And I, that her faith somehow was... Affecting you. Yeah, affecting benefit, me. Benefiting you. That's right, you. benefiting me, yeah. And... Um, so all out, a, a grace of God. That's right. I found out later she had actually, she had been, had a hunchback and had been to Lourdes some 20 years earlier and had a miraculous healing. Incredible. Maybe that, yeah. But in case, so that was our first experience. And we ended up um, um, going week by week. And one thing I noticed was, I could see Marcia was, when we went, so after that mass, the cloud had, of anxiety had lifted. Wow. But Wonderful. then by Thursday, Friday of the... It had come back down again. Mm. Anyways, this is something later we discovered, pointing us to daily mass, right? That, right. Um, but it, so we in we actually so still had a kind of tug of war though, Catholic or Protestant. So we were going to this Catholic church, but we didn't understand anything about the difference, and um, we ended up oddly getting baptized in the Anglican church uh-huh. in Florence. Wow. Because um, there was a priest there who had, could speak to us in English and was really eager to evangelize us. Right. No family had ever come to his knocking on his door. Right, right, right. And um, whereas the um, the Catholic priest where we were at didn't make the same kind of effort. Anyway, that, right, wasn't so concerned. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, um, so so we were baptized in Italy in the Anglican Church. But um, I had 
down in my heart. So I had ex been experiencing sort of what like St. Ignatius speaks about the, um, the experience of consolation and desolation. Mm -hmm. When I thought we should become Catholic, I felt this consolation, and I couldn't say why. And when I thought we should be Protestant, there was something sad about it. And I came to see the reason is we had fallen in love with Christian culture, precisely in this broad sense of Catholic culture, right? In other words, that all the different time periods, different styles, but um, this sharing this common worldview, and there was something, um, um, yeah, consoling in the right. fact of God working in history and society. And when I thought we should be Protestant, it was a way, in in some sense, Protestantism came out of a rejection of that medieval Catholic culture. Right. Anyway, so that was, and, and then the second thing that happened was I picked up by Providence and um, we used to browse in the British Library in Florence a book, um, The Newman Reader, a Newman Reader, just selections of St. John Henry Newman. And I fell in love with that. Wonderful. And, um, and so then uh, shortly thereafter, so just after three months of being Anglican, we entered the RCA and we went back to New York and did that. And so we entered the Catholic Church in 1989. And then I felt um, called to give up um, the art and to study theology. Wonderful. Uh, so then you studied theology, then you went to Yeah, so Rome. since we already knew Italian from having lived three years in Italy, I thought, why not study in Rome, the eternal city? And um, so we did, and um, we went to the uh, Op uh, Opus Dei University yep. there, Santa, Santa Croce. Croce, and one of my classmates was Father um, Gonzalo, Gonzalo Sanguinetti, Sanguinetti, who yeah. is the superior general of Minas right. Christi now. And so we would sit together, Wow! and then often we would have lunch with Father Caesar, um, who is who, a superior in Rome. That's right. And he, he went to a different, he went to the Lateran, but he would come and have lunch together with... So that's Father how you Gonzalo. met me, this Christie. That's right, yeah. Awesome, very good. And then you became a doctor in theology. Yeah, 1999. Then you... So it was, eight, it was nine years of studies. So uh -huh. I had to start over. Wow. And that, that was a little um, unnerving. Um, but um, so when I got there, I kind of thought that I could make it quicker because, I mean, we're... I already had a master's in art history, and I was right. older, and we had a son already who was uh, two and a half when we arrived, 11 when we left. Wow. Um, but the, um, the advisor that told me, no, you know, you've got to do all the courses. It's all laid out for you, and you'll thank me at the end after nine years. Um, and, and he was right. So, um, yeah, so in 1999, I got the doctorate there, and then we went to um, – Argentina for five years, and teaching you, you, at the mother house, and wonderful. I taught you, Father Patrick, yes, English. Yes, taught me some English. <laughs> yeah, yes. and my, our son was maybe the more difficult uh, with the pronunciation. Right, right, very good, very good. So <laughs> there you, you taught to the seminarians of Miles Christi <laughs> yeah. in Argentina. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for all that. So now I have a, a question. So uh, this is a wonderful story, right? And um, I, I think it's very useful for many college students to, to try to see God and the beauty around them. How would you, or what recommendation would you give them on how to see God, or how does beauty lead to God? How, what, because typically we think more about reasons, reasons to, for the truth about uh -huh. God, reasons to believe in God. How does beauty become, in a sense, a reason to believe? Yeah. Oh, great question. That that'll, might take a little longer to answer than we have, but I'll do my best. Um, so I think it's very important not just to use logical reasons in, in leading people to God. Right. And because God is, I mean, the human person has got senses. We've got a sense of beauty. And um, 
And we also have different temperaments. And not everyone um, is rationalistic. That's sense. right. Not and, everyone is like me. <laughs> I tend to be more of the okay. reasons. Right. And so, it, I mean, basically, we speak of um, beauty, goodness, and truth always going together. Right, the transcendentals right. of the being, right? right. The so being we call is them, true, good, and right. beautiful. Everything that is, insofar as it is, in other words, insofar as it has the being it ought to have, is 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 good, is true, and is beautiful. Right. And therefore, all three of those point to God, who is being with a capital B, goodness with a capital G, truth with a capital T, and beauty with a capital B. Right, so everything else kind of takes its own beauty, truth, and goodness right. from God, right. participating from God. Right, participating, right. And so that's why seeking any one of those three, right, so whether it's goodness, say the immorality, right, so the figures like, you know, Mother Teresa, um, whether the it's the saints, exactly, the lives of the saints, and um, wh whether it's truth, Thomas Aquinas, or whether it's beauty, all of them point to God, and we need to use all three in evangelizing. And some are going to come by the door of beauty, principally. Others, perhaps, principally by the door of truth, and others by the door of um, goodness. goodness, and maybe others by that of unity. That's also a transcendental property. Everything that is, insofar as it is, is one, but there are grades of unity up to God. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so those are different approaches. And I find that beauty is this, oh, that was my way, so right. I have and a special you're, thing to you're good at Art, mm -hmm. art, uh, right. sculpture, right? And you play music, right? And so you're good at arts, right? But I don't think you have to. You don't have to be good at art to get to this. At least value. Arts. So yeah. So my dad's not an artist at all. But um, interesting in physics. Um, so he, even though he was an atheist physicist, he got this in some way even in physics. So that in so he would always say that in physics, before you prove a theorem, you know it's true because it's the most elegant. Mm, okay. It's the simplest. There's a beauty to, um, right? And the same thing is true of pure mathematics even, right? There's a beauty there as well, the elegance of the truth. Um, again, it points to the fact that beauty and truth and goodness go together. And you, you wouldn't do physics if you didn't have some kind of conviction that this is an ordered world, right. an ordered world. And if there's an ordered world with grades of beauty and order, that points to an orderer. Right? And if there's beauty, it points to a divine artist. Right? And the human heart is his masterpiece. And that's why the beauty points to God, not just in, so we could speak of different kinds of beauty, right? So there's the beauty of nature points to God, right? Right. You, sunset. Okay. Yeah, the sunset, the mountaintop, right? The ocean. Um, and that's why we speak of mountaintop experiences, right? right. Pointing to God. But a far, something that points far more to God is in fact the human person, right? And the human heart. And so that's where, so that kind of came together with me with the, you know, kind of the artistic preparation, Christian art, and then the beauty of the person of my wife, right? Wonderful. And that's, and, and Pope Benedict is one, he has spoken at great length about these topics. And so before he, one of my favorites is a talk he gave in 2002 before he was elected Pope. Um, to uh, communion liberation, and he speaks there about. Um, so he the he was speaking about a, a concert, so a Bach cantata that profoundly moved him, and he was there with um, um, 
a Lutheran bishop. And at the conclusion, they looked at one another and said, anyone who's heard this knows that the faith is true. Why? Because this music came out of the faith, right? Bach wouldn't have written what he did if, he, if it weren't for his Christian faith. And so Pope Benedict says that the beauty of the Christian patrimony, and even more so the beauty of the saints, are the key to evangelizing contemporary culture. And Wonderful. I think, yeah, my experience that is very true. And just even teaching RCA, not infrequently, people will come into RCA because the, so I happen to teach at the cathedral in St. Louis, which is a beautiful basilica, but people will come there for the beauty and then they'll see in the bulletin, interested in becoming Catholic, call this number and we'll actually do so. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, uh, just to wrap this up, but mm -hmm. I think it's a great thing. Uh, of course, we're talking about finding, I mean, for college students, right, I'm thinking, or young people, to try to see in their uh, context, in their social environment, those things that are pleasant, good, and beautiful to see God in them, because not everything is pleasant, right. good, and beautiful. Maybe like pleasant, yeah, music, pleasant might not be the right word there. Uh, beautiful, to uh, pleasing to the senses, in a right. sense. All right. Yeah, so St. Thomas speaks of, um, yeah, um, an integrity, a harmony, and a, a splendor in what's beautiful. But I think the key thing, even, is to look, what's the worldview behind it? So when looking at putting, so in college, I would put up paintings on my wall, right? Something to look at. But it matters what you put up. Don't just put up something randomly. Right. Put up something because it means something. In other words, what's the worldview? What's the vision of the human person behind that behind art. that work of art? Yeah. Right. So that's that's very important because there's a lot of things that are not very good. Like right. there's music that is not good. Right. There's art that is not right. good. Paintings that are not that's good. Right. Photography and it that is not good. Forms our imagination, especially if I'm looking at it every day or if I'm listening to it. Right, right, frequently. And so it's important to select wisely those things that are going to form my eye and form my ear, just as we would in literature, right? Something that will form um, our minds. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, very good. Well, uh, thank you so, so much for sharing all your experience. Uh, we will talk a little bit more next episode um, about some other things that somewhat connected to the existence of God, um, so difficulties that some people find. Um, but it's, uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And again, make sure you join us next week. We will discuss with Dr. Feingold how it is possible to believe in God in spite of the fact that we suffer evil and we see evil and pain in the world and in our lives. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, don't hesitate to send me an email at info at fourcollegecatholics.org. I'd love to hear from you. And if you can, leave a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts and Spotify so that others may be encouraged to listen as well. May God bless you, and we'll see you next time.